This is a recording of Abraham's Amen and Believing in Christ, Possible Applications in the Book of Mormon Text, by Lauren Spendlove, published in Interpreter, a Journal of Latter-day Saint Faith and Scholarship, read by Lauren Spendlove. Abstract Following the discovery of delocative verbs and their likely usage in the Hebrew Bible, Meredith Klein proposed that the verb hey mean in Genesis 15.6, traditionally interpreted as a denominative verb meaning he believed, should be understood as a delocative verb meaning he declared amen. Rather than reading Genesis 15.6 as a passive statement, Abraham believed in Yahweh, Klein argued that we should interpret this verse in the active sense, that Abraham vocally declared his Amen in Yahweh's covenantal promise. In this light, I have analyzed various passages in the Book of Mormon that utilize similar verbiage, believe in Christ, for example, to examine how their meanings might be enhanced by interpreting the verbs as delocatives rather than denominatives. Introduction In Genesis 15, we are told of a covenantal dialogue that took place between Jehovah and Abraham. A key verse in this chapter, Genesis 15.6, is foundational for Jews and Christians alike. Quote, And Abraham believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. End quote. The Apostle Paul viewed this verse as doctrinally significant and employed its use in his epistles to both the Romans and the Galatians. The passage in Romans reads, What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. End quote. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, based his doctrine of justification by faith alone, sola fide, on these teachings of Paul, whose teachings were derived from Genesis 15.6. Quote, Also our churches teach that men cannot be justified before God by their own strength, merits, or works, but are freely justified for Christ's sake through faith, when they believe that they are received into favor, and that their sins are forgiven for Christ's sake, who by his death has made sanctification for our sins. This faith God imputes for righteousness in his sight. Romans 3 and 4. End quote. The Apostle James, in what many believe to be in opposition to Paul's approach, incorporated Genesis 15.6 into his treatment of justification through both faith and works. Quote, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. End quote. In these verses, James explained that Abraham's initial expression of belief in Genesis 15.6 was perfected by his offering of Isaac upon the altar. In other words, according to one interpretation of James' teaching, Abraham's initial expression of belief was a righteous act, but insufficient for justification. Abraham's belief, unaccompanied by works, was alone and without redemptive power. That is to say, his belief would have been dead without his works. Although Martin Luther took issue with the book of James, I believe that Luther would have agreed, at least in principle, that works are locked in a close orbit around faith. Luther wrote, quote, Faith is God's work in us that changes us and gives new birth from God. It kills the old Adam and makes us completely different people. It changes our hearts, our spirits, our thoughts, and our powers. It brings the Holy Spirit with it. Yes, it is a living, creative, active, and powerful thing, this faith. Faith cannot help doing good works constantly. 
It doesn't stop to ask if good works ought to be done, but before anyone asks, it already has done them and continues to do them without ceasing. Anyone who does not good works in this manner is an unbeliever. End quote. In other words, Luther taught that good works naturally follow those who possess faith. Good works are the evidence of real faith. In the sense that works always accompany true faith, by works is our faith made perfect also. In an effort to explain the apparent contradiction between Paul's and James' interpretations of Genesis 15.6, Larry Tyler wrote, quote, The New Testament's treatment of Old Testament passages do not settle questions of text-critical nature. When a New Testament writer quotes from the Old Testament, his primary concern is its application to a particular circumstance. Therefore, a certain liberty is exercised so that the passage cited accomplishes the purpose of the New Testament writer. It is not unusual, then, to see the New Testament writer focus on a particular aspect of the meaning of an Old Testament text. In light of this, a quotation of an Old Testament text does not necessarily resolve all questions related to the exegesis of that text. Moreover, the usage of the Old Testament text by one writer of the New Testament does not absolutely control the manner in which another New Testament writer uses the same text. The significance of any Old Testament text may have various applications, all of which may be valid in the framework of the Old Testament text. Delocative verbs the KJV's translation of Genesis 15.6 has long been accepted as lexically correct and doctrinally sound. Abraham believed God, and God counted his belief as righteousness. However, in the mid to late 1950s, two linguistic scholars independently identified a new verb form that came to be called delocative, meaning from locution or from speaking. Although the following discussion of delocatives may appear to the reader to be disconnected from Genesis 15.6, its relevance will soon become apparent. Delocatives can be described as verbs that represent vocal exclamations common to one's culture. For example, in English, it is very common to say amen at the end of a prayer, and for many Christians, even during the course of a prayer or sermon. While amen can be considered an exclamation in itself, it can also be expressed as a delocative verb with the meaning of to say amen. Cecil Robeck provided a helpful example of this usage as he described a Christian revival in which a woman in the congregation seemed overcome by the Spirit. Quote, she jumped to her feet and some of the unregenerate who had looked on her with open-mouthed wonder fled from the building in terror, but she didn't intend to do anyone any damage. She had received sanctification and was simply expressing her joy in her own particular way. All the brethren and cistern gathered around her and amened and hallelujahed until they were hoarse, evidently as happy as she was." End quote. In this passage, the author used amend and hallelujah as delocative verbs, meaning to say amen and to say hallelujah, each representing their respective exclamations. To be clear, in this sentence, amen and hallelujah function as delocative verbs rather than simple exclamations, amen and hallelujah. The author could have rephrased the final passage like this, quote, all the brethren and cistern gathered around her and shouted amen and hallelujah, end quote. In this reworked sentence, amen and hallelujah are not verbs, but exclamations. In a second example, Scott Cherney recounted a humorous story about an experience that he had in a movie theater. In this retelling, Cherney wrote of an unruly and boisterous group in the theater audience, quote, I then proceeded to shush them. Yes, I said I shushed them. I shushed them once. I shushed them twice. I shushed them three times, drawing it out a little bit more and even adding a please, end quote. In this passage, Cherney used the delocative verb shush, meaning to say shush or shh five times, most likely without knowing that he was using a delocative. Although the identification of delocatives is quite recent, their usage is not. 
In the following passage from 1866, we are told of a boy named Gregory who was patted on the head repeatedly by guests at his family home. Quote, Mrs. Granton came in for her share of the male and female box-edge attention, and little Gregory is patted on the head and good-boyed, fine-boyed, and dear-little-fellowed all over. End quote. The three delocative verbs in this passage, good-boyed, fine-boyed, and dear-little-fellowed, stand for the exclamations good-boy, fine-boy, and dear-little-fellow, respectively. As can be seen from these examples, delocative verbs represent common exclamations in a given culture and language. Jewish scholar José Faur helped explain the difference between delocative verbs and denominative verbs, meaning from a noun. Quote, the delocative verb is different from a denominative. The base term of a denominative is a noun or designation and stands in relation with to do, denoting therefore action. The base of a delocative is a call or formulaic expression and has the particular connotation of to say, denoting therefore activities of discourse. End quote. The denominative verb to hammer could be understood as being derived from the noun hammer and represents the action of beating on something with another object. Likewise, the delocative verb to yes sir is derived from the expression yes sir. Regarding the scope and expanse of delocative verbs, Franz Planck added that this verb form is widespread among multiple language groups and cultures. Quote, Although originally identified as such in and illustrated exclusively from Indo-European languages by de Bruner and Benveniste, delocatives are not confined to this family, but show a wide genetic and aerial spread. End quote. Finally, with respect to the legitimacy of delocative verbs, Laurel Brinton summarized Franz Planck's observations. Quote, delocatives are not marginal or even extragrammatical. In fact, they should be treated no differently than any other kind of denominative verb formation. They obey regular rules of syntax and do not show variation from speaker to speaker. End quote. Delocative verbs in Hebrew. With de Bruner's and Benveniste's novel identification of delocative verbs, scholars began the process of searching for their presence in non-Indo-European languages as well. Delbert Hillers was a pioneer in the identification of delocatives in Biblical Hebrew. Quote, a pair of especially clear examples of delocative verbs in Hebrew is tzidek, hitzdik, and hirshiah, to say someone is in the right and to say someone is in the wrong, respectively. These have, of course, ordinarily been explained as cases of the declarative or estimative PL or HIFIL, and later it will be necessary to set forth objections to this traditional classification. It seems best first to present the positive reasons for calling these verbs delocatives. Tzidek and Hitzdik do not mean to make someone just or to behave justly, as one might expect from the analogy of such words as Gadal, Gadol, with related PL, Gidel, and Hifil, Higdil. As all agree, Tzidek and Hitzdik mean to say that a person is in the right, end quote. The verb hitzdik has been interpreted traditionally as meaning to justify someone who is in the right, and hirshiah as meaning to condemn someone who is in the wrong. However, Hillers categorized these verbs as delocatives with the meaning of to say or declare that someone is in the right, or to say or declare that someone is in the wrong, respectively. A good example of this usage can be found in Deuteronomy 25.1. The KJV renders this verse, quote, If there be a controversy between men, and they come unto judgment, that the judges may judge them, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. End quote. Young's literal translation, published nearly 100 years before the discovery of delocative verbs, more clearly rendered this verse, quote, 
When there is a strife between men, and they have come nigh unto the judgment, and they have judged, and declared righteous the righteous, and declared wrong the wrongdoer. End quote. With the benefit of this new understanding of delocative verbs, a revised translation of this verse could be, quote, When there is strife between people, and they come to the judgment, and they have judged, and declared the one in the right to be right, and declared the one in the wrong to be wrong, end quote. Whereas the KJV translation understood the verbs hitzdik and hirshia as in the chifil form, Hillers instead identified them as delocatives. So rather than the judges justifying or condemning individuals, their job was actually to declare who was in the right and who was in the wrong. Faud helped explain the significance of properly identifying delocative verbs in the Hebrew Bible. Quote, as a denominative, lehakdish means to sanctify and refers to the performance of a ritual whereby something is sanctified, becoming thereby holy. As a denominative, it would be insulting to apply such a verb to God, for example Isaiah 8.13 or 29.23, since it implies that God's holiness is the effect of a ritual performed on him by the worshiper. As a delocative, it simply means the utterance of a formula declaring that something is kadosh, meaning holy. These verbs do not derive from the adjective kadosh, holy, but from the formula kadosh. They mean to proclaim God is holy, not to sanctify God. The same applies to other passages usually taken to mean the sanctification of God, as when God says, Venikdashti, among the children of Israel. It means that he will be declared holy rather than to be sanctified. End quote. The KJV translation of Leviticus 22.32 interprets the verb Venikdashti as a denominative, quote, I will be hallowed that is sanctified among the children of Israel, end quote. However, according to Faur, it would be more appropriate to understand the verb as a delocative, quote, I will be declared holy among the children of Israel, end quote. Faur added that another example of the delocative usage of Kadosh can be found in Isaiah 6.3. The KJV text for this verse reads, quote, and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. End quote. According to Faur, the employment of kadosh in this verse aligns with the delocative to declare holy rather than the denominative to be holy or to sanctify verb structure. In the verse from Isaiah, the seraphim cried out to each other and proclaimed three times that the Lord of hosts was holy. Another Jewish scholar, Jeffrey Tigay, following in Hiller's footsteps, added to our understanding of delocatives in the Hebrew Bible. Quote, Some verbs that are not derived in the first place from locutions have specific nuances that are. For example, the piels of chazak and ematz, which both normally mean strengthen, also have a delocative sense, say the formula chazak or chazak ve'ematz, be strong or be strong and resolute to someone. In English, we could translate the idiom as to chazak someone. This sense is found in such passages as Deuteronomy 138 and 328, where God commands Moses with reference to Joshua, Oto Chazak and Chazkehu Ve'amtsehu, that these commands mean Se Chazak or Chazak Ve'ematz, be strong and resolute to him, not imbue him with strength and courage, is clear from Deuteronomy 31.7, where Moses carries out this instruction by saying to Joshua, Chazak ve'ematz, end quote. So while in the KJV translation of Deuteronomy 138, the Lord tells Moses to encourage him, meaning Joshua, following Tegay's suggestion, this passage should read, Say, be strong. This shift in interpretation introduced by delocatives may seem subtle and even of little practical importance, but it is actually very meaningful and can dramatically impact our understanding of scripture, as will be demonstrated in the following section.
Did Abraham believe or say amen? In the opening verse of Genesis 15, we are told that the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision. In this vision, the Lord instructed Abraham to, quote, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be, end quote. In the KJV, we are told that Abraham's reaction to the Lord's covenantal promise was that he believed in the Lord. However, following Hiller's discovery of delocatives in biblical Hebrew, Meredith Klein, a scholar in the fields of covenant theology in the Hebrew Bible, identified several more occurrences of delocative verbs in the Bible. Among these is our passage under study in this paper, Genesis 15.6. Klein wrote, quote, our suggestion is that hey mean is another of these delocative verbs and that its delocative origin is discernible in Genesis 15:6 and elsewhere. This verse will then state not explicitly that Abraham's inner attitude was one of faith, but that Abraham voiced his amen in audible response to the word of God. End quote. According to Klein, the verb hey mean in Genesis 15.6 did not mean that Abraham merely believed God. Rather, as a delocative, it meant that Abraham audibly declared amen. Since the context of Genesis 15 is covenantal in nature, saying amen would have been an appropriate way for Abraham to respond. Quote, the fact that that statement appears in the context of a formal procedure in which such an amen was a customary form of response adds plausibility to the interpretation presented here. Genesis 15 is the account of a solemn covenant ritual, and an amen response by the covenant vassal in such ceremonies is attested in the records of both biblical and extra-biblical covenants." End quote. Klein reasoned that the verb hey mean did not simply project Adam's passive inner attitude. Rather, it represented an active vocal response to God's covenantal promise. Klein referred to the use of hey mean in this verse as a confessional act by Abraham. Klein was also aware that while not every occurrence of hey mean in the Bible can or should be translated as to say men, many can and should be. Both to believe or to say men can be appropriate translations of hey mean, depending on usage and context. Klein clarified, quote, The delocative meaning coexists with other meanings of these verbs in the same conjugations. Thus, just as taher means both purify and pronounce it is pure, so hey mean means both believe in and declare amen, end quote. Many biblical scholars have argued that Genesis 15 should be divided into two separate narratives, verses 1 through 6 comprising the first narrative and verses 7 through 21 the second. Several arguments for this arrangement have been proposed, but perhaps the most compelling is that while verses 1 through 5 contain dialogue between Abraham and the Lord, verse 6 has been viewed by many scholars as an editorial insertion, a summary statement lacking dialogue. In verse 7, the dialogue picks up again and continues for several more verses. However, if we accept Klein's interpretation of Genesis 15.6, which presents Abraham declaring his amen to God's promise of countless seed, then verses 1 through 9 offer a continuous, uninterrupted dialogue between Abraham and the Lord. O. Palmer Robertson agreed that interpreting hey mean as a delocative properly integrates Genesis 15.6 into the overall narrative rather than isolating it as a, quote, theological analysis belonging to a later age, end quote. Klein was not the first to claim that Abraham did more than just believe in God's promise, but that he vocally expressed his amen. As early as 1893, Christian pastors were promulgating this idea, still more than a half century away from the discovery of delocatives. Quote, the Lord called Abraham out and said, Look at the stars and tell the number of them. So shall thy seed be. Abraham said, Amen. That is the Hebrew. Abraham said, Amen. And the Lord said, You are right. 
End quote. The Babylonian Talmud, recorded in written form during the Amoraic period, roughly 200 to 500 Common Era, contains analysis and discussion of the law by Jewish scholars, the Amoraim. In Tractate Shabbat, we are given the following, which could be employed to bolster Klein's theory. Quote, Reish Lakish said, One who answers Amen with all his strength, they open the gates of the Garden of Eden before him, as it is stated, Open the gates, and a righteous nation shall come who keeps the faith. Do not read who keeps the faith, but rather who says Amen. End quote. In this passage from the Talmud, we are told that we should read Isaiah 26.2 as A righteous nation shall come who says Amen, rather than A righteous nation shall come who keeps the faith. This reading requires some shifting of letters from one word to another, but this is not uncommon practice in the Talmud. Below are the KJV translation, the Masoretic text, and a literal translation following Klein's delocative interpretation of Genesis 15.6. Quote, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Or, And he declared amen in Yahweh, and he reckoned to him righteousness. End quote. Saying Amen in Yahweh is normative practice in both Christianity and Judaism. In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we are typically taught to end our prayers in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. However, since LDS doctrine also declares that Jesus Christ and Yahweh are the same person, ending a prayer in this manner is functionally equivalent to saying Amen in Yahweh. Additionally, according to another passage in the Babylonian Talmud, the word Amen is an acronym for God Faithful King. Quote, what is the meaning of the term Amen? Rabbi Chanina says it is an acronym for the words God Faithful King, El Melech Neiman. End quote. According to this Babylonian Talmud passage, the three Hebrew letters in the word Amen stand for the first letter in each word of the phrase El Melech Neiman, literally God Faithful King, or Aleph Mem Nun. Isaiah even refers to the swearing of oaths by the God called Amen, Isaiah 65.16. In other words, according to the Babylonian Talmud, God himself is the very Amen. There are other passages in the Hebrew Bible where we can perceive additional possible delocative uses of the verb Hemin. For example, the KGV translation of Judges 11.20 begins with, quote, But Sihon trusted not Israel, end quote. However, J. Bergman Klein explained that, quote, it may be that the clause Velohe min Sihon et Israel in Judges 11:20 is best translated, quote, "Sihon did not declare amen with Israel." End quote. In other words, Sihon, king of the Amorites, was unwilling to enter into a covenant of peace with Israel. This is evidenced by the fact that Sihon, quote, gathered all his people together and pitched in Jahaz and fought against Israel, end quote. Klein concluded, quote, Like Father Abraham, all God's servants will pronounce their amens in Yahweh's name. Yahweh will be the God of the confessional amen, end quote. Possible application to selected passages in the Book of Mormon. In this section, I consider nine passages from the Book of Mormon that contain the phrase, Believe in Christ, to see how these could be understood differently if they were to be read as declare Amen in Christ. It is important to clarify that this is not an attempt to correct these passages in the Book of Mormon. As Klein pointed out, the Hebrew verb hey mean can be rendered as both to believe and to say men, depending on whether one interprets the verb as a denominative or a delocative, respectively. Since all the verbs in the following passages from the Book of Mormon have been rendered as denominatives, my purpose in this section is simply to explore how the verses could be understood if these verbs were expressed as delocatives. Second Nephi 6.14 Quote, 
And behold, according to the words of the prophet, the Messiah will set himself again the second time to recover them. Wherefore he will manifest himself unto them in power and great glory, unto the destruction of their enemies, when the day cometh when they shall believe in him, and none will he destroy that believe in him. End quote. As with Genesis 15, Second Nephi 6 is a covenantal chapter. Jacob tells us that, quote, the Lord God will fulfill his covenants which he has made unto his children, and that, quote, the mighty God shall deliver his covenant people, end quote. Sandwiched between these two verses, Jacob informs us that the Messiah will, quote, set himself again the second time to recover his covenant people, they who wait for him, end quote. This recovery will occur, quote, when the covenant people shall believe in him, and none will he destroy that believe in him, end quote. The delocative phrase, declare amen in him, as a replacement for believe in him, fits nicely into the covenantal nature of this chapter. The Messiah will recover his covenant people, quote, when they shall declare amen in him, and none will he destroy that declare amen in him, end quote. Another way of expressing this idea is that the Messiah will set himself to recover his covenant people when they begin to worship and covenant in his name, Jesus Christ. In the Babylonian Talmud, we are told that the word Amen is affiliated with the elements of oaths, acceptance, agreement, and confirmation, or in other words, covenantal language. Quote, Rabbi Yose, son of Rabbi Hanina, says with regard to the term Amen, there is an element of oath within it. There is an element of acceptance of the statement and agreement within it. And there is an element of confirmation of the statement. End quote. Second Nephi 9.23-24 And he commandeth all men that they must repent and be baptized in his name, having perfect faith in the Holy One of Israel, or they cannot be saved in the kingdom of God. And if they will not repent and believe in his name and be baptized in his name and endure to the end, they must be damned. For the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has spoken it. End quote. This chapter, Second Nephi 9, is bookended by brief commentaries on covenants. Quote, I have read these things that ye might know concerning the covenants of the Lord that he has covenanted with all the house of Israel verse 9, and, behold, how great the covenants of the Lord, verse 53, end quote. In the middle of the chapter, Jacob taught that believing in the name of God is essential for salvation, verse 24. In order to fully appreciate this idea, verses 23 and 24 must be studied together, as each verse provides a list of requirements for salvation. While the two lists closely parallel each other, there are some differences in content and order. See Table 1. And now for an analysis of Table 1. Verse 23 states that we must repent, be baptized in his name, and have perfect faith in the Holy One of Israel. Verse 24 states that we must repent, be baptized in his name, believe in his name, and endure to the end. End of analysis of Table 1. Both verses teach that we must repent and be baptized in his name to be saved in the kingdom of God. And while verse 24 states that we must endure to the end, verse 23 is silent on this requirement. But most importantly, in parallel phrases, verse 23 informs us that we must, quote, have perfect faith in the Holy One of Israel, end quote, while verse 24 states that we must, quote, believe in his name, end quote. These two phrases remind us of the previously cited passage from the Apostle James. Quote, Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. End quote. James explained that by works was Abraham's faith made perfect, while Jacob taught the importance of having perfect faith in the Holy One of Israel. James also told us that Abraham believed God, while Jacob spelled out that we must believe in his name. These passages from James and Jacob can be expressed as parallel thoughts, perfect or perfected faith, and believing God or believing in God. 
James' phrasing that Abraham believed God is a clear reference to Genesis 15.6, where we are told that Abraham, he min be Yahweh, or believed in Yahweh, if the verb is interpreted as a denominative. As previously noted, Klein stated that the verb he min in Genesis 15.6 is best understood as a delocative, meaning that Abraham declared amen in Yahweh. With these parallel connections between James and Jacob, one could argue that Jacob's use of believe in his name could also be rendered declare amen in his name. As previously discussed, declaring amen is integral to the covenantal process and demonstrates our faith in the Holy One of Israel. Additionally, while believing in the name of Messiah can rightly be understood as a passive mental process, declaring amen is active. Graham wrote, quote, Belief exists, faith acts. Belief is a passive faith, and faith is an active belief. End quote. Abraham did not merely engage in a passive thought process. He demonstrated his faith or active belief with his declaration of Amen. According to James, Abraham's faith was made perfect when he acted further by offering his son Isaac. Second Nephi ten seven. Quote, but behold, thus saith the Lord God, When the day cometh that they shall believe in me, that I am Christ, then have I covenanted with their fathers that they shall be restored in the flesh upon the earth unto the lands of their inheritance. Second Nephi 10 is a continuation of Jacob's temple sermon from the previous chapter. In verse 7, we are told that one of the prerequisites for the covenant people to be restored is that they shall believe in me that I am Christ. If we rephrase this verse as, They shall declare amen in me that I am Christ, we are faced with awkward English grammar. The Hebrew for this passage could be properly rendered as, Ya minu bi kiani mashiach. In Hebrew, the word ki can be translated as that, for, or because. In Exodus 6-7, the Hebrew Kiani Yahweh is translated as that I am the Lord in the KJV, while in Leviticus 11:45, the same Hebrew phrase is translated for I am the Lord. So, 2 Nephi 10:7 could be rendered as, quote, When the day cometh that they shall declare amen in me, for I am Christ, then have I covenanted with their fathers that they shall be restored in the flesh upon the earth unto the lands of their inheritance. With this reading, we can understand that the time will come that the covenant people will declare amen in Christ. They will worship and covenant in his name. In that day, he will fulfill the covenant that he has made with their fathers. 2 Nephi 25, 24-25 And notwithstanding we believe in Christ, we keep the law of Moses, and look forward with steadfastness unto Christ, until the law shall be fulfilled. End quote. Although not clearly discernible in English, if we render this passage in Hebrew, we discover a simple alternate parallelism. Line A, And notwithstanding we believe in Christ. Line B, We keep the law of Moses. A prime, and look forward with a steadfastness unto Christ, be prime, until the law shall be fulfilled. In Hebrew, the words believe, steadfastness, amen, or declare amen, and faith are all derived from the same root, aleph mem nun, or amn. So, we believe in Christ, or we declare amen in Christ, if we apply the delocative sense, is parallel with steadfastness unto Christ. The second set of parallel phrases contrasts the Nephites' keeping of the law of Moses with Christ's fulfilling of it. Nephi also presents us with an apparent paradox. The purpose of the law of Moses was to point the people to Christ, see Jacob 4.5, but Nephi informs us that they already believed or declared amen in Christ. In the subsequent verse, 2 Nephi 25.25, presented below as a chiasm, we are told that the faithful were made alive in Christ because of their faith. More than a passive belief, the faith of which Nephi spoke was truly life-giving through Christ. Because of the shared root, Aleph Mem Nun, or A-M-N, this faith is related to steadfastness and to the declaration of Amen in Christ. Line A. For for this end was the law given. Line B. Wherefore, the law hath become dead unto us. B. Prime. And we are made alive in Christ because of our faith. 
a prime, yet we keep the law because of the commandments. We could understand from these verses that the Nephites had entered into a covenant by declaring their amen in Christ. It was not the keeping of the dead law that demonstrated their faith in Christ. Rather, it is reasonable to believe that it was their declaration of amen in Christ as part of their covenantal agreement that demonstrated their faith in him. Second Nephi 32 Quote, For behold, I say unto you that as many of the Gentiles as will repent are the covenant people of the Lord, and as many of the Jews as will not repent shall be cast off. For the Lord covenanteth with none, save it be with them that repent and believe in his Son, who is the Holy One of Israel. In this verse, Nephi informs us that personal repentance is imperative to being counted among the covenant people of the Lord. Nephi also tells us that a second requirement is to believe in his son. Since this passage is covenantal in nature, it would be appropriate to understand this phrase in the delocative, declare amen in his son. As Klein explained, amen is an appropriate and expected response to a covenantal agreement. In section 88 of the Doctrine and Covenants, also known as the Olive Leaf, we are told of a formal covenantal salutation that the teacher in the school of the prophets was to pronounce at the beginning of each class. Facing the members of the class, he was to declare, quote, Art thou a brother or brethren? I salute you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in token or remembrance of the everlasting covenant, in which covenant I receive you to fellowship, in a determination that is fixed, immovable, and unchangeable, to be your friend and brother through the grace of God, in the bonds of love, to walk in all the commandments of God, blameless, in thanksgiving forever and ever. Amen. End quote. The members of the class were given the choice of answering this covenantal salutation by either repeating the salutation or by merely saying the word Amen in token of the same. Quote, and he that cometh in and is faithful before me is a brother, or if they be brethren, they shall salute the president or teacher with uplifted hands to heaven, with the same prayer and covenant, or by saying Amen in token of the same. End quote. As described in this last passage, speaking the words of the covenantal salutation or simply declaring the word Amen were substitutable responses. In other words, declaring Amen was considered equivalent to speaking the covenantal oath. Likewise, declaring Amen in the Son of God can be seen as an appropriate way to be counted among the covenant people of the Lord. Jacob 4, 5 Quote, Behold, they, the holy prophets which were before us, believed in Christ and worshipped the Father in his name, and also we worship the Father in his name, and for this intent we keep the law of Moses, it pointing our souls to him, and for this cause it is sanctified unto us for righteousness, even as it was accounted unto Abraham in the wilderness to be obedient unto the commandments of God in offering up his son Isaac, which is a similitude of God and his only begotten son. End quote. This passage in Jacob 4 is of particular interest because it combines multiple elements from our current study, believing in Christ, worshiping the Father in his name, being sanctified or declared holy for righteousness, and the inclusion of Abraham's offering. The phrase, they believed in Christ, if read as the delocative, they declared amen in Christ, is a hand-in-glove fit with the nearly synonymous ensuing phrase, and they worshiped the Father in his name. In addition, it is intriguing that this passage includes the idea that the keeping of the law of Moses was sanctified or made holy or possibly declared holy unto the Nephites for righteousness just as it was accounted to Abraham to be obedient unto God. Even more intriguing, nowhere in the story of Abraham's offering up of Isaac, see Genesis 22, do we find this type of language. It is possible that Jacob borrowed narrative elements from Genesis 15.6 and placed them into the later story in Genesis 22 of the offering of Isaac. This semantic borrowing strengthens the argument that Jacob's use of believed in Christ could be properly rendered declared amen in Christ. In fact, it is possible that Abraham may have been Jacob's primary allusion when he spoke of the holy prophets which were before us. Third Nephi 11.32 Quote, 
And this is my doctrine, and it is the doctrine which the Father hath given unto me. And I bear record of the Father, and the Father beareth record of me, and the Holy Ghost beareth record of the Father and me. And I bear record that the Father commandeth all men everywhere to repent and believe in me. End quote. This is a passage saturated with the idea of bearing record. To bear record can be understood as the functional equivalent of to bear witness or to testify. There are four record-bearing interactions in this verse, see diagram 1. The Father and the Son testify of each other, and the Holy Ghost testifies of both of them. In addition, the Son testifies to all men that they need to do two things, repent and believe in Him. This testifying or record-bearing strongly implies the act of speaking aloud. Webster provided the following definition, quote, to show or exhibit, to relate as to bear testimony or witness. This seems to imply utterance, like the Latin pharaoh, to relate or utter, end quote. Likewise, if we employ the delocative for the phrase to believe in me, we have the spoken expression to declare amen in me. Even more than the denominative phrase believe in me, this delocative interpretation is in harmony with the overall tone of the passage. Third Nephi 19.22 Quote, Father, thou hast given them the Holy Ghost, because they believe in me, and thou seest that they believe in me, because thou hearest them, and they pray unto me, and they pray unto me, because I am with them. End quote. During his ministry among the Nephites, Jesus commanded his disciples that they should pray. Bowing himself to the earth, Jesus thanked the Father that the Holy Ghost had been given to the disciples, because they believe in me. Jesus then provided evidence that the disciples believed in him. Quote, thou seest that they believe in me because thou hearest them, and they pray unto me. End quote. If we apply the delocative interpretation to this verse, we have, They declare amen in me, and thou seest that they declare amen in me because thou hearest them, and they pray unto me. Interestingly, the disciples were praying to Jesus rather than to the Father. They must have been calling on his name or using some other way of indicating that Jesus was the person to whom they were praying. As the Babylonian Talmud informed, the word Amen was considered by the Jewish sages to be an acronym for the phrase God Faithful King, El Melech Neiman. So, one way of understanding the delocative interpretation of declaring Amen in me could be that they were calling Jesus their God and their faithful or true King as they prayed to Him, perhaps even calling Him their Amen. 3 Nephi 20.31 Quote, And they shall believe in me that I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and shall pray unto the Father in my name. End quote. Similar to 2 Nephi 10.7, this passage contains the phrase, that I am Jesus Christ. As discussed previously, this phrase can also be properly rendered, for I am Jesus Christ, in Hebrew. Additionally, this verse presents a parallel chiastic structure that is only apparent if we interpret the denominative phrase, and they shall believe in me, as the delocative phrase, and they shall declare amen in me. See Table 2. Now an analysis of Table 2. The original, we have line A, and they shall believe in me, line B, that I am Jesus Christ, B prime, the Son of God, A prime, and they shall pray unto the Father in my name. A recast verse reads, line A, and they shall declare amen in me, line B, for I am Jesus Christ, B prime, the Son of God, a prime, and they shall pray unto the Father in my name. End of analysis of Table 2. The left column of the table shows the original wording as a chiasm, but only the two middle lines are parallel with each other. The first and fourth lines, they shall believe in me, and they shall pray unto the Father in my name, are not truly parallel. The right column presents the verse with the first two lines modified to reflect the delocative verb in line 1 and with that changed to 4 in line 2. With these modifications, the chiasm becomes whole. Line 1, they shall declare amen in me, and line 4, they shall pray unto the Father in my name, are parallel statements. In terms of clarity and unity of message, the recast verse seems to present a more coherent and relevant message than even the original wording. Conclusion. 
The identification of delocative verbs in the 1950s, and more specifically, the discovery of delocatives in the Hebrew Bible, has broadened our understanding of that ancient collection of sacred scripture. The KJV translation of Genesis 15.6 informs us that Abraham believed in the Lord, and that this belief was accounted to him for righteousness. Klein, however, postulated that hey mean, the verb translated as he believed in the KJV, should be understood as a delocative rather than a denominative in this verse. He proposed that the passage should be rendered, he declared amen in Yahweh. This shift in interpretation transforms Abraham's passive acknowledgement of God's promise into an active, audible response. Since declaring amen is a typical covenantal response in the Hebrew Bible, this interpretation fits nicely in the surrounding dialogue between Abraham and Jehovah in Genesis 15. Applying this understanding of delocative verbs to passages in the Book of Mormon that contain the phrase, believe in Christ, revealed interesting outcomes. Most of the Book of Mormon passages cited in the paper are part of a covenantal narrative where the declaration of Amen would be an appropriate and even expected response. In these passages, believing in Christ can be replaced by declaring Amen in Christ without doing harm to the integrity of the original wording. In fact, interpreting the verb as a delocative can possibly add even greater insight. In the same way that Abraham's passive belief in God's promise can be interpreted as an active vocal response through the identification and application of the delocative verb, hey, mean, related passages in the Book of Mormon can be profitably understood in a similar way. Our acceptance of God's covenantal promise needs to be more than a passive inner attitude. It needs to include our active, audible assent followed by our faithful daily fulfillment of the covenantal agreement. This has been a recording of Abraham's Amen and Believing in Christ, Possible Applications in the Book of Mormon Text by Lauren Spendlove, published in Interpreter, A Journal of Latter-day Saint Faith and Scholarship, Volume 49, 2021, read by Lauren Spendlove. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged. The journal and its website are credited and is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles can be found at journal.interpreterfoundation.org. More information about the Interpreter Foundation, along with a wide array of additional resources, can be found at interpreterfoundation.org.